Good morning slash evening. Welcome to the Cowboys and Rice Podcast, a perfectly basketball channel after the podcast. I'm your host, Wilson Robertson, and I am still flying solo, unfortunately, in my podcast hosting duties. This episode is always brought to you by our sponsor, African Development Jobs. And unlike always, this episode is a little unusual in that we had massive technical difficulties. We had to record it over WeChat. And that means that the intro I'm giving you right now is the intro we are going to use. I decided to do this episode because I read a blog post by Mr. Xander Rounds, a Fulbright scholar studying African students in China and Zhejiang Normal University. And he wrote a fascinating post on his new blog, Bridging the Great Wall, about the former Tanzanian president, President Benjamin Mkapa, who was president of Tanzania from 1995 to 2005. He recently gave a speech at Zhejiang Normal University to a large group of students, mostly African, about the China-Africa relationship. Without further ado, here's the pod. Enjoy. Hello, hello from Bami Jinhua. Almost like being back in D.C. with you. Does your dorm room have any air conditioning? Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness uh, the dorm room does have air conditioning, so... Uh, I'm actually doing all right here. That is fantastic to hear. I used to I used to teach in China and Chinese universities, and sometimes Chinese dorm rooms did not have all the amenities that I was used to as an American. But I'm I'm happy they are taking good care of you. The benefits of living in the international dorm, and I'm happy you should mention the benefits of living in the international dorm, as our topic is going to go into African students in China. I think some of the uh, the other students would uh, would be very envious to know that I'm sitting here in an air-conditioned room right now. Well, I will make sure this top-secret information does not go out. Yes, it definitely seems like uh, I'm in the right place to have this conversation, so uh, I'm very excited to get started, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Could you tell the audience more about your post on President Mpaka was there anything that you wanted to add to it that did not make the cut? Yeah, so thanks for the question. What I really want to highlight about his speech and what I, what I was getting at in the blog was that this was really a speech about the importance of asserting local African agency on the international stage. And it actually, it took me a little bit to realize this. And Kappa was delivering the speech in China, of course, in Jinhua. Um, I kind of assumed it would be a little bit more China-focused, maybe uh, discussions of what Africa can learn from China. Given where, and as he began the speech, Uh, with a quite compelling history of Western colonialism and neocolonialism, I was thinking to myself, okay, so uh, maybe it's not going to be a speech about what Africa can learn from China, but maybe this is going to be a speech about what the West has done wrong and is doing wrong in Africa and regarding regarding development. But it turns out that this, well... uh, importantly, a big part of the speech, was also not the focus of uh, Mkapa's speech. 
So he actually does something very clever. He takes this term, which we all are very familiar with, uh, the scramble for Africa, and he flips it, titling his speech, Unscrambling Africa, meaning and referring to the need of Africans and African leaders to rethink and renegotiate to unscramble ties with developed countries, uh, particularly former colonizers. So based on this, uh, what this uh, speech really is, I realized eventually was, or really was, was a uh, call for action directed at African leaders and citizens of the 54 African countries, uh, many of whom were represented at the speech. And it eventually occurred to me that it's no coincidence that he came here to Jinhua, to Zhejiang Normal University, which is one of the universities that receives and has received the most African students in all of China. And what he was trying to communicate to uh, African leaders and people, um, and particularly these students sitting here, uh, in many cases, he was actually staring directly at the, the biggest group of them that were sitting to my left, was not about what the U.S. or Europe or China, for that matter, should do or not do, but how African states and people should assert themselves in the negotiation of a new, uh, more equitable world system. As I note in my blog, this really uh, struck a chord with me because, uh, in my view, too many discussions completely overlook or do not emphasize enough local African agency, which I think is very problematic. My Georgetown thesis, Hoya Saxa, uh, was actually on the impact of external actors on the democratization of African political systems, just to give you a little bit of background on, on my background. Um, and drawing on uh, recent critiques by political scientists and other people uh, in the media responding to the rise of China, particularly in Africa, uh, I begin the thesis with the question, is the rise of authoritarian China bad for democracy in Africa? What I conclude is actually that, well, this is a really bad question because it overemphasizes the role of China, the external actor in this case, at the expense of local agency. And these local agents are you know, critical to this process of democratization and should not be overlooked. I provide one example of this, one example from the news on my blog. I think it was about uh, Africa becoming the new battleground for China and Japan. But uh, President Mkapa uh, also provides a really good example in, his, in the historical section of his speech. Um, when he observes that during the recent coverage of the centennial of the outbreak of World War One, Africans, though played a huge part in the war, are completely absent from the discussion. 
it was because of his emphasis on local agency throughout the speech, to me, it was actually uh, not what I was expecting and also very important. Um, so I think that's about my answer to the first question. I don't know if you want to ask the second question or a uh, follow-up. Let's talk a little more about African agency and, and what how uh, I'm about to the heck out of this how did um, President Kappa envision African agency taking place so in the China African relationship there's a ton of African agencies people don't mention it so for example um, the, the, the Angola model of China African relations in which um, an African country has a lot of natural resources and China goes in and, um, and, and in exchange for um, those resource-backed loans, um, puts in a lot of infrastructure. That model of engagement is something a lot of African governments went to China and asked for after they saw the success of Angola, hence the name the Angola model. But, oh, and a lot of the deals that get done, they are at, at, at the request of African governments or African ministers. There is a lot of African agency, and it's overlooked, at least on the American side. What did President Nkapa think about these, these sorts of engagements, or, or, or is, China, is China simply incidental? Yeah, so, so he, he did speak in uh, lots of general terms, uh, but more specifically, uh, the example that he gave for how African leaders can be asserting themselves is in the recent negotiations for the uh, economic partnership agreements with Europe. What he was really getting at in his speech, and I wish that you could have been at the talk to ask that question to him, but what he was really getting at at the speech was uh, a need to renegotiate its renegotiate African relationships with uh, traditional uh, former, the, the former colonizing powers and the United States and Europe. And in terms of the, 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 the further question, President Nkapa was rather critical of how Europeans and Americans have dealt with Africa. How did the room take those sorts of statements, especially the African students? So, in general, his perspective seemed to be very well received by both African and Chinese students. One moment in particular stands out. He was talking in the question and answer segment about the, US, the difference between the Chinese in Africa and the United States in Africa. And he was talking about the U.S.'s decision to withdraw aid from Uganda after the uh, so-called uh, homophobic uh, legislation, and he said this with a with a smile on his face, and and the room kind of all sort of laughed, which I interpreted as silly United States always getting involved in everyone else's business. That said, during 
during the question and answer segment, it became clear that African students seemed less convinced of less convinced of China's potential as an alternative to uh, European or American involvement. For example, the first question uh, from a student from Tanzania was what I alluded to before. Um, what exactly differentiates the Chinese dream on the African continent from that of the European colonists of the 19th century, which was actually met with some applause. So while there, there seemed to generally be uh, head nods as President Mkapa was uh, being critical of Europeans and Americans, um, there was, it, they seemed, the students, that, the African students that I was sitting next to seemed less convinced maybe that China is going to be the alternative that's going to make everything better, or perhaps just less optimistic. So yeah, I, I hope that that answers your question. That completely answered my question. Thank you so much for, for going in so much detail. And for our, uh, for our listeners' knowledge, it's not, as a disclaimer, it's not that I agree or disagree with the president. I'm, I'm really interested in just, in, in these sorts of statements coming out from somebody, um, from, from, a, from a former head of state, as well as the, the audience. And I, and I think that, so there are many Chinas and many Africas in the China-Africa discussion. So here are two examples of different kinds of African actors. And I think it's fascinating the, the way they perceive and, and engage with China. I'm sure as a former head of state, President Nkapa has a lot of very valuable insights on dealing with both the British and uh, the dealing with Europeans, Americans, and the Chinese. And, and I also think it's really fascinating that these African students who are living and working and studying in China, and, and I imagine a few of them are on, on those famous um, uh, Chinese scholarships. What is it, 5,000 scholarships to African students a year for five years? And, and as, as people who are on the front lines of China-African engagement as well, what they think about it. And it's just um, a, a, really, a, a really fascinating insight. And hopefully our listeners understand this, the different perceptions and the different actors that shape those perceptions. Xander, could you talk about your blog as a whole, why you wanted to do this research, and what you have found out so far Tell us a little more about the African students with whom you're interacting. Of course. Um, well, I should first say that uh, when I tell people what my project is, the response that I usually get in China or in America is, what is the lanky white American guy doing in China studying African students? So my answer to this question uh, really has two parts to it. 
there's the kind of intellectual level and the, the personal level. Why I originally got interested in this issue was the numbers. If you look at the numbers of African students coming to China to study on the grants that you mentioned, Winslow, and uh, on their own funding, and if you look at the, the trajectories of the number of students going to China to study and to, for example, the United States, in the next few years, though it's hard to get uh, really good statistics, the number of African students in China very well may uh, be greater than that of the number of African students uh, that are traveling to the United States to study. So I saw this and it seems to me um, that we are really at a historic moment right now, if this is the case and even if it isn't, when the trajectories and flows of information and people are not as unilateral as they might have been previously. So it was the numbers that really piqued my interest. More broadly, uh, right now there is a lot of excellent research and discussion about issues relating to Chinese-African relations, in a lot of which are highlighted on great blogs like Calories and Rice. Uh, Often, however, the, the focus tends to be on, China, for good reason, on uh, Chinese in Africa, whether it be uh, the impact of investment or trade or migration or development assistance, uh, just because that's where all the, you know, the big numbers are. There is so much Chinese investment in Africa and so much Chinese trade and so on and so forth. Uh, the analysis also often tends to take a kind of macro level perspective. Not always, but uh, you know, looking at broader political trends or economic perspectives. So looking at all of this research and then thinking about what I want to study, um, I, have, I have come to believe that the growing group of students from Africa uh, traveling to China to study is going to be essential in unlocking a more uh, nuanced understanding of these relations. Um, because in my mind, these people are probably going to be the business and political leaders that are really mediating these, the, the relationships between China, between China and African countries. So that's how I ended up on looking at African students in China. And I just want to note quickly while I have a moment uh, that there's already some really awesome research being done on the subject. Um, for example, Dr. Hagen, uh, Roberto Castillo, Li Man at Sun Yat-sen University. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of really, really great research going on right now, and I'm, I'm just excited to 
participate in this conversation on a more personal level. Um, I, as my friends and family know very well, have loved China since I first traveled there in 2007. And since then, I've also had the opportunity to participate in development-related projects in Ghana and South Africa as I studied the issues there. And during, during these visits, uh, I was able to observe firsthand uh, a range of development issues, uh, many of which are international in scope, as well as many failed attempts to uh, fix those problems or address those problems. And so over this time, I have increasingly become convinced that the solutions to these big international problems will necessarily involve cooperation between Chinese, American, and critically, uh, particularly given, given Kappa's speech, local. And so this Fulbright Research Project was really a way of inserting myself within some of these uh, these uh, new budding connections. Um, and I was really excited and am really excited by the prospect of engaging with students from all over Africa. Regarding what I have learned so far, I've only been here a few weeks, uh, but I do have a few observations, which I think, uh, I hope that you find that everyone will find it. So before I got to Jinhua, I kind of had the impression from some of the research that I had done before and from some of the uh, Chinese people that I had talked to about Africans in China that these uh, students tend, tend to have a very difficult time communicating and interacting with locals and also perhaps have not much interest in learning about or engaging the local culture, local food, and so on and so forth. What I have seen over the past few weeks, though, has been in direct contrast with this, this bias. There are certainly students who are just beginning to take Chinese, and, and of course, like all of us who are just beginning to take Chinese, struggle with communication. But many, if not most, of the Africans that I've engaged with, mostly in my dorm, but also around campus and at restaurants and, and all over the place, um, speak really excellent Chinese and have no problem communicating at all with uh, local Chinese people. As far as uh, uh, being interested in local Chinese culture, I was uh, reading in my room around 10 o'clock uh, two nights ago when I heard singing coming from the room next door. So I decided to go and investigate, and sure enough, the two Cameroonians that live next door are shamelessly belting popular Chinese songs uh, with the door wide open, I might add. 
sweeping claims at this point because these are just kind of initial observations. But at the very least, uh, the two Cameroonians really appreciate Chinese popular music. And uh, a final observation that I want to make uh, really quickly was, is, and another observation that I make, that I want to make really quickly is, when we all arrived at the international student dorm where I'm living, uh, and I arrived at the same time as many of these students who, who come from all over Africa, um, it seemed to me that groups formed pretty quickly along linguistic lines. So people from Francophone countries uh, were seeking out people from Francophone countries and Anglophone from Anglophone. Now that's what, it, that's what it seemed like at first, but what I've noticed over the past few weeks is that Chinese is actually used by many of these students to bridge the, the kind of francophone, anglophone gap or to, to communicate with uh, people from countries, from different African countries. So Chinese actually seems to serve as a bridge that connects, that is not only used by African students to connect with locals, but also with other Africans, which I think is super interesting and um, hope to explore more systematically as I carry out my research project. So those are probably uh, two of the most interesting observations, uh, or two, of, two observations that I want to share with you right now. Hopefully, uh, more, more good stuff to come. One, I would like to thank you for plugging calories and rice to our listeners. Your crate of whiskey is in the mail. Two, I love how you subtly interjected the word bridge in your discussion of the use of Chinese language amongst African nationals, because the name of your blog is Bridging the Great Wall, and it's fantastic that the Chinese language itself is being used to bridge the environmental between Africans and Chinese and Africans amongst each other. And I think that's something that's going to be fantastic, uh, fantastically interesting uh, going forward and, and something that I hope our, our listeners will be fortunate enough to hear about in the future. In the United States, it's none too hard to find criticisms of China and the China-Africa relationship. What about the reverse? Can you find criticisms of the United States or Europe about their relationships with Africa? How pervasive are those sentiments? I ask because, in my experience, Chinese officials are quite keen to play up South-South solidarity and explicitly critique other foreigners when dealing with African audiences, while losing that rhetoric in broader, multilateral discussions. <laughs> uh. Thanks for uh, picking up on that. Yeah, thank you. I think this is a, a very interesting question. Um, yeah, it's, it's not difficult at all to find criticisms of the U.S. or Europe and their relationship to Africa. Though usually uh, these criticisms are related to a critique of the U.S. and Europe around the world, uh, not necessarily... Uh, specific to Africa. 
So the the common criticisms, of course, that I've run into time and again talking to other students or uh, professors is that the U.S. and Europe are far too eager to get involved and interfere in the internal affairs of African states, uh, which, of course, the, the Chinese government uh, would never do, uh, or at least that's the, uh, the rhetoric. There are also some criticisms of, uh, as you might expect, how when uh, the U.S. or Europe goes into an African country and gives aid, they, there will often be strings attached, uh, whether they are political or economic. Uh, and, I ha uh, and a third, I've also uh, run into the, cons the criticism more specific to uh, China-Africa that the, uh, the U.S. or Europe and or Europe are trying to constrain China's activity there that the U.S., that leaders in the West are concerned about the growth of China um, in Africa. And often, uh, to bring it back to our earlier discussion, often those conversations kind of descend into the conversations that don't, tend to deny uh, local African agency in this process uh, or ignore, at least or not emphasize enough. And just to, to bring it back to the speech that I saw last week, uh, the former, a former ambassador to an African country, I can't remember which one it is at the time, uh, and I also can't remember his name, um, he, he spoke as well and I just wanted to note that there, there were no uh, sort of criticisms of Europe or the West or the United States in his section of the talk. So yeah, that's kind of uh, been my experience. Um, and I'm sure other people have other experiences. Um, but I do think that things are changing slightly and uh, People are talking about China's role and the United States' role in the world um, in slightly different terms. Uh, but you can certainly find criticisms of uh, both the U.S. and Europe in Africa. One of the things that I'm, I'm personally curious about and, and that I'm, I'm hoping to track over the long term are these discussions of as China as China becomes a superpower or the world's largest developing country or whatever it is that the Chinese state thinks it, it is going to be, how the China-Africa relationship fits in. Because in my experience, any criticism of China's interaction with the China-Africa relationship is generally seen as an attempt to contain China from its natural goal of being a superpower but also a developing country or, or that um, that weird in between that it that it tries to fit in and so any discussion of Africa serves as a proxy for China's worldwide ambitions and that Africans themselves are 
secondary to those ambitions, at least among certain, um, certain Chinese people who share these sentiments. And so that was sort of what I was trying to, trying to hear about and, and see if, if you caught on to any sort of discussions on that. It seems you have. But in any case, Xander, do you have anything you would like to add before we sign off? I'd just like to uh, emphasize really quickly that it's been a real pleasure to be included uh, on this podcast and in this conversation, and a uh, big fan of uh, the work that you do, Winslow, and the uh, Cowries and Rice uh, blog and podcast, and I look forward to sharing more um, of what I learn as I learn more. So thank you very much. Excellent, excellent. I, I'm happy that we have a fan of the pod on the pod. That is lovely to hear. Could you give our audience some recommendations? So before going on the Fulbright, they put together a, a big meeting for all of the people that are going to uh, the same place. So I was with all the China people uh, in orientation. And they, they get a bunch of speakers. And one of the guys that came and spoke to us is uh, named David Wertheim. And he runs the site called uh, Tea Leaf Nation, which is a uh, part of foreign policy now. And, and what, what they do is uh, they have a bunch of people who are very tuned in to Chinese uh, social media, websites, blogs, and they do a very good job of picking up on different things that are going on and then kind of bringing the conversations that are happening in social media space uh, in China and bringing them into the, you know, the English, English language uh, press world. For example, they, every week they go through and they pick out a few uh, news items that were missed by the West. Um, so super interesting uh, insight into some of the conversations that uh, you might not be able to have access to uh, unless you're here in China or um, on Chinese blog space. So yeah, if you get a chance, uh, definitely definitely check that out. Really funny you should mention, David. I ran into him and um, and yeah, we were just, just shooting the breeze and talking about uh, Keely Nation and the great job they're doing and perhaps uh, how to pitch China-African stories to Keely Nation in the future. So I also would like to recommend Tea Leaf Nation. They do great work, and David is a really, really terrific person. Xander, could you tell people how they can find you on the interwebs? What is your blog? Uh, where can they find your blog? Where can they find your Twitter account or your Weibo account? Oh, and would you like to share your QQ number? So I'm new to Twitter, so everyone should go 
uh, very quickly and log on to Twitter and follow me um, because I'll uh, I'll be I'll be posting pictures and other uh, other observations that I make while I'm doing my research project and probably some other on China stuff as well. So uh, my my Twitter account is Xander at Xander Rounds. Uh, so Z A N D E R R O U N D S. And you can find my blog at um, www.bridgingthegreatwall.wordpress.com. And believe it or not, I have not set up a QQ yet. So that's on my to do list. Um, so I can't share that with you at, at this time, unfortunately. I don't know whether to laugh or cry that you don't have a QQ account. <laughs> yeah, top of my list. Top of my list. Well, in any case, I myself can be found on calriesrice.blogspot.com and my Twitter handle is at Winslow underscore R. Uh, Calories and Rice has been making moves as of late. We've started up a new translation service, Translation Tuesdays. We've been getting a lot more content, a lot more cross posts, including Xander's most recent post. Um, if it, after you go to his site, favorite it, bookmark it, and comment on it, you can also find that same story on Calories and Rice as well. And that is about it for today's episode. We would like to thank Xander for joining us this evening from Fall Jiajiang Normal University, where the air conditioning works and the camera is seeing the Chinese pop music. We would also like to thank African Development Jobs. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Double Switch, and iTunes. We are also teaming up with WTMD Community Radio for Macomb, Illinois, to share our podcast. We would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recording for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.